You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Koop. We're talking about small groups this morning, how we do life in small groups. And a big part of church life is the word fellowship. I don't know if we use that word a lot outside church. It's kind of a churchy word, fellowship. It's used other places as well. But certainly in the church world, it comes from a Greek word. The Greek word is koinonia. And koinonia, the Greeks had a very descriptive language. And it's got a lot of facets to this name, a lot of different meanings behind it. But when you study that word koinonia, it's really a description of what takes place when we get together in our life groups or our alpha group or maybe on a Wednesday night in a small group. That word koinonia really describes it. And so I was looking up the definition of it. I don't use Webster's anymore. Now I go to Wikipedia. It's so much easier. So I just Googled koinonia and went to the definition given by Wikipedia. And here's what they had to say about it. The word has such a multitude of meanings that no single English word is adequate to express express its depth and richness. It's a derivative of koinus, the word for common. Koinonia is a complex, rich, thoroughly fascinating Greek approach to building community. Koinonia embraced a strong commitment to an inner goodness toward virtue and an outer goodness towards social relationships. So something's happening on the inside that causes people to do something outwardly. Those who have studied the word find there's always an implication of action included in its meaning. Koinonius implies the spirit of generous sharing or the act of giving as contrasted with selfish getting. In most contexts, generosity is not an abstract ideal, but a demonstrable action resulting in a tangible and realistic expression of giving. To create a bond between comrades is the meaning of koinonia. When people are recognized, share their joy, pains together, are united because of their common experiences, interests, and goals. It creates a mutual bond which overrides each individual's pride, vanity, individualism, fulfilling the human yearning with fraternity, belonging, and companionship. When combined with the spiritual implications of koinonia, fellowship provides a joint participation in God's graces and denotes that common possession of spiritual values. That's Wikipedia. They just described our small groups. They just described life group right there. All boiled down for us is really what small groups are all about. Koinonia, it's translated different ways. I gave you a few in your notes. It's translated community. One of the words that's translated out of that word is community. We live in a community together. Community, really two words, common and unity. We have things in common and we're unified. It's also translated participation. It's translated contribution. It's translated generosity. All those different ways that word is translated. When we want to do life groups, small groups together, I'm going to focus in on that word generosity because really you can't have community without generosity. If everybody holds on to what they have and they don't share, community does not happen. And it doesn't happen in our small groups, in our life groups, or in anything for that matter if we don't have generosity. When you do a life group, it's always 
has this component of generosity. It may be just opening up your home as being generous because you got to get home from work early, you got to vacuum, you got to set it up, and just opening your home is hugely generous. It may be just bringing something, a snack to the life group. That's being generous. It may be helping somebody move. It, maybe you're throwing a birthday party, or maybe somebody in the life group has got to the, go to the hospital. They give you a call, and you drive them to the hospital. You sit in the emergency room with them. That's community. That's koinonias. Or it might be, you know, taking care of somebody's pet when they're gone. That's giving. That's sharing. That's koinonias. I want to bring up a picture for you this morning and share it with you. This picture shows relationship circles. Now, if you take the outside circle, these concentric circles, let's start on the outside. That's the crowd. That's about 150 or more people. And in that crowd, you'd recognize somebody, you say hi to them, but that's about as far as you can go in a relationship. You say, hi, how are you doing? That's about it. Casual is the next circle in. This is where you know somebody's name, and you can have some general chit-chat, you know, how's the weather, how was your week? Well, that's as far as it goes. And then connection. This is basic connection. You just know general details, a smaller group of people. We're all about connection here. We want people to connect. We have connect people downstairs with the red t-shirts on, helping you get connected. It's that level of, of relationship. And uh, again, going back to that study that the Vancouver Foundation did, they called it Connect and Engage. They realized that in our city, there's a huge need to connect. If we don't connect, we don't have community. And there's this need to connect. Now, that's what most people get are those three outer layers. But as we go inward, this is what most people need. That next circle is a circle caring, where you know enough to support and care. A lot of churches actually call their small groups, we call ours life groups, but in many churches they actually call it care groups because people care about me there and I care about other people there. We would like everybody at Coastal Church to be in a care group, to be in a life group, to be in this kind of a group, whether it be at Alpha, whether it be in a life group in your home, or whether it be in a, in a Wednesday night. In some way, we all need some aspect of a care group. And uh, in this care group, that setting, you care about other people. Then going inwardly, you have a committed group. These are mutual sharing of needs where you trust somebody, you understand their needs. It's a little bit deeper. Now, those people could be in your small group or they may not be in your small group. But what we find happens as you get to know people in those small groups, you develop that next level of relationship. And then lastly, the closest to you, these are your very close friends, your spouse, somebody that you can be really transparent about your feelings with. And these are the people that love you no matter what. They love you when you got your job. They love you when you got fired. They love you when you graduated. They love you when you got kicked out. They, they just love you no matter what, and they're with you. You need some of those people in your life. And that's our desire, too, that you'd have some really, really great close friends in your life. We're healthy when we have these kind of relationships. To have that, though, we need to be generous. I'm going to show you a few verses that talk about the need for koinonias in our life. Here's four examples from the Bible. There's many more, but just picking four. Philippians 4.15 says, you became my partners in giving. That phrase, partners in giving, is actually one word, and that's the word koinonias. Koinonias means I will be a partner with you in giving. We can do more when we partner together when we koinonias. 
You're sitting in a pew today. You're in a building today because somebody did koinonius. They partnered together to make this possible. And because of that, we have it. They made a sacrifice, and because of it, we have this. Hebrews 13, 16 says, keep doing good in sharing your resources. That phrase, sharing your resources, again, the word koinonia. Koinonia means share what you have. Hebrews 13, 16, keep doing good. In sharing resources, we did that one. 2 Corinthians 8, 4, they begged us to let them have, look at this. We, we should really read this verse slowly. They begged us to let them have the joy of giving their money for God's people. Koinia is joy of giving their money. That's the word koinias. Isn't this weird? Just think about it. It's not somebody begging for money. They were begging to give their money. They begged us to let them have koinias for God's people. We want to give. Please let us give. Instead of please give, they're saying, we really want to give into this. Koinias. 1 Timothy 6, 18. Be generous and willing to share. And of course, willing to share, again, is that word koinias. So our first point in doing life together requires elements of generosity. Generosity creates community. Would you say that with me? Generosity creates community. It's very natural, our life groups. Sometimes you look at them, they almost seem ordinary. You know, there's no big, uh, it's not a lot of glitz, there's not a lot of glamour, it's just a house. People sitting around in the living room. I mean, it's very natural. But when you add God to it, that group becomes supernatural. And I want to go to somebody's house right now. We're going to go visit Roy and Helen. I don't know if they're home, but we hope they're home. And we're going to go to their house, going to ring their doorbell or hit their buzzer. And we're going to go up to their apartment. They just live down the street here on Alberni. And so we're going to go visit them. And we're going to take a look at their life group and hear from them. So let's go visit Roy and Helen and have them talk about their life group. Hi, I'm Helen. I'm Roy Chong. We've been married for two years. We run a life group on Thursdays at 7.30, and we've been running it for a year and a half now. Yeah, since we got married. The thing that we love about hosting a life group is that we get to open our home and invite our friends, sometimes even our family, into our home and get together, talk, uh, share a meal, uh, list, uh, praise and worship, sing songs together. Uh, it gives us an excuse, with everybody being so busy, it actually gives us an excuse to get together. My name is Valerie, and I've been coming to Coastal Church since they were in the Terrace building, so about six years. And I've been in this life group for about a year and a half, and co-leading for about three to five months, around there. One of the things I enjoy the most about our life group is that it's fun. Like we get along, everyone really meshes well, and even though we come from different parts of the world or different backgrounds with different stories, we can all kind of come together and, and share and be honest and have fun. And there's good food as well. What I like about Life Group the most is, I would say, uh, just the wealth of uh, wisdom and experience that this life group has. Um, being a, a, a younger person coming here, 
uh, a lot of people in the same industry and the, um, a lot of the same interests. I'm getting uh, married soon, so there's a lot of young couples here, and I'm able to talk to them, ask them questions, uh, run things through them, get their advice, and um, just the things that they've gone through and being able to input into my life and for me to learn. I'm a baby Christian, and uh, this life group has really helped to strengthen my faith. And um, how that has, has played out is uh, I, I was actually baptized um, in, in August. And I, I don't think that I would have made that move without having the support of this life group. Yeah, and it's so amazing to see the lives that are changed in our life group. And because they're friends of ours, I mean, one of the hardest ministries to um, kind of put forth and put action to in your faith is with your friends and your closest family. And so for us, it's been such a joy mm -hmm. to see some of our closest friends mm -hmm. um, experiencing the thing, same things in terms of our walk and our faith in the Holy Spirit that, um, that we did when we first started mm -hmm. our life. And for God to let us be a part of that journey with our friends is such an amazing thing, it's such a blessing for us. One of the benefits I've experienced from being a co-leader in the life group is that it's really stretched me. I mean, I've been guilty of going into a life group and being passive and not really being accountable for my activity within the life group, but being a leader has really uh, stretched me in the sense of it's motivated me to study God's Word, to get connected, to get outside of my head. It's taught me a lot of life skills, like how to deal with people, how to, I guess, understand how people react to one another, how to get conversations going and, and learning about people in general. Hosting a life group actually requires a little bit of sacrifice, but it's so amazing to see what God does with that little bit of sacrifice. He does the, uh, exceedingly and abundantly yes. with what little mm. we have to offer, mm. whether it's just opening up our door or mm. putting out some chips or, or some juice, um, but kind of letting God work through the life group. And so for us personally, and even in our own relationship, it's been amazing to see mm -hmm. what's happening between Helen and I mm -hmm. as we grow in our faith mm -hmm. and see God validating our faithfulness through the life group. And mm -hmm. so that's been a real gift for us as mm -hmm. well. Yeah, excellent. So that right there is a, a great picture of Koinonias. They're, they're having it in their home. That's it. And they wouldn't have that if there wasn't generosity. It helps build that community. Look in your notes, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11 and 12. God made you rich enough so that you can always be generous. You know, right now, you're rich enough to be generous. Every one of us here this morning has enough to be generous. What you do to serve others not only provides for the needs of God's people, but also produces more and more prayers of thanksgiving to God. When we're generous to others and we're serving others, it also is a thanksgiving to God. God's pleased when we're generous with each other. When we were raising our children when they were younger, and uh, one of the things you have to teach your kids early on, none of us learn this naturally. We have to be taught this is to share. Uh, nobody grows up and says, oh, I want to share all I have. You have to teach children to share. You have to say, no, you've got to share the doll. You've got to share the toy truck. And you have to teach your kids to share. And we all have stories of 
when we've raised our children or when we were raised, we were learning how to share. It's a life lesson we need to learn. And then one day, your kids get it, and they're actually sharing their stuff. And as a parent, you go, yay, they're sharing. They're not fighting. Johnny's actually sharing his stuff. They're sharing what they have. And you go, yay, they're sharing. You know, God, likewise, is really excited when we share. He's delighted when we share. Matthew chapter 6, 21 says, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart and your thoughts will be also. And whatever we invest into, for example, if I invested a whole bunch of money into Microsoft stock, how many know I would be thinking about Microsoft? I would probably check where's the stock at, and I, I would be attracted to that stock because of it. It's kind of like a magnet. Wherever you put your money, you're attracted to it. If you put your money into boats, you're attracted to boats. Uh, I was shopping for a different truck recently to pull the church trailer. And so, you know, I'd never noticed this particular brand of truck before. But now I'm seeing them everywhere on the highway, and I never even saw them before. But because I'm putting money into it, now I'm also noticing it. So wherever you put your money, Jesus said, that's where your heart's going to be as well. So when we put our heart and our money into community, again, it brings change. It brings life. The early church had this, Acts 432, all the believers were of one heart and mind. Now, look carefully at the next part of this verse, because this, this kind of, this will get you. So, they were one heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. They shared everything they had. They felt, it's not my own. This was the attitude of the common, of the early church. It's like, it's not my own. Everything I have is mine to share. And, and it's easy for us to say, no, no, that's my car. That's mine. That's my money. That's my house. No, these are my shoes. This is my stuff. And God said, no, no, you're a manager of it. You're a steward of it. But I work for it. I paid for it. I bought it. It's mine. And God said, no, wait a minute. I gave you the breath that you needed. I gave you the strength that you needed. Every gift comes down from the Father above. That's what James tells us. And so everything we have, and the early church got this. So when we realize it's not mine, I'm a steward or a manager of it, it becomes a lot easier to share it because, you know what? It's not mine. I get to share it. And here's the deal. Here's the principle. When you're generous with what you have, God just refills it because He can trust you with more. And the more you share, the more you give, the more He says, well, I can trust you with more. So it's actually a really fun way to live, to be a generous life. There's an interesting story told by Bob McHugh. And uh, he, his son wanted to go to McDonald's and get some french fries. He didn't go to McDonald's very often, but his son said, Dad, well, I want to go to McDonald's. So he takes him to McDonald's, and one of the things he got him was some french fries. And if you've ever had McDonald's, I'm not promoting the french fries, but they do have a good smell. And so he's in the car, and he smells these french fries. And he, he reaches over, and he takes one of his son's french fries. And his son flips out. He says, Dad, eat your own french fries. Those are my french fries. They're mine. Have your own french fries. And he writes, he had three thoughts. He said, first, as I sat there, I thought my child had forgotten that I am the source of all fries. <laughs> I brought him here. I took him to McDonald's. I made the order. I paid for the order. I handed it to him, and I'm driving him back home. He could not have any fries if it were not for me. The only reason he has any fries is because of me, the great fry giver. So... <laughs> The second thought, he said, is I thought, is my oldest child doesn't realize that I could take them away in a second if I wanted to, or on the other hand, I could buy an entire truckload of fries if I wanted to because I had the power to do both. 
And then he said, the third thing I realized is I don't need his fries. In fact, I could easily get my own. I could buy myself a hundred packs of them if I wanted to. I just wanted him to learn to be unselfish. Then he goes on to say, now those three lessons are the reasons why God wants you to learn to be generous with other people. God says, I want you to remember that I'm the source of everything you've got. And you have zip, nothing, if you wouldn't be alive if it weren't for me. I chose to create you, and I have chosen to give you all the things you've got. It's all from me. Number two, I could take it away from you just like that, or I could double it just like that because I have the power. Thirdly, God says, I don't need your fries. I don't need your money. I am not poor. I just want you to learn to be unselfish. I want you to learn to be generous. I want you to learn to develop your faith. So the third thing, or second thing, is generosity is proof of our faith. If you're filling the blanks, the word is faith. There's a story in the Bible, Mark chapter 2. There is a small group, a life group. These guys are doing life together. There's at least five in this life group. One of their friends is paralytic, and they hear about Jesus being in this particular house, and he's teaching. They get there, and the house is packed, jam-packed, no room, no standing room, nothing. Now, just for a moment, put yourself in this house. It's in a Middle Eastern home, no air conditioning, people are sweating, it's dusty, it's smelly, and you're listening to Jesus, but you're just squeezed right in there. Have you ever been in one of those places that's just really hot, but you really don't care because it's so good, and you're in this setting, and you're listening to Jesus teach, and all of a sudden, this dust starts falling from the ceiling, and you hear this noise up top. People stop listening to Jesus, and everybody looks up, and then you see this. These guys are tearing apart the roof, and you go, what in the world is going on? You elbow your friends, and do you believe this? They're ripping the roof apart. And as they pull back the roof, you see four guys standing up there. I mean, these are really bold guys. You got to give it to these guys. They really, they're just like, let's do it. And you can see them up there and say, George, are you sure we should do this? Yeah, let's do it. Well, who's going to pay for it? I don't know. We'll pay for it. Let's just do it. Go for it. Are you sure? Rip this guy's roof up. Yeah, it's the only way to get him to Jesus. Let's do it. All right, let's go for it. They begin to pull back the roof. They got ropes on this bed and they lower him down in front of Jesus. You take, talk about faith. These guys had faith. And that's what we read in Mark chapter 2, verse 5. Look at this. When Jesus saw their faith. You know, faith can be seen because it's action. Koinias, we learned again, was when we express our values, our faith outwardly, they saw this. These guys had radical faith. And their faith was part of the equation for the paralytic's healing. He saw their faith. He said to the paralytic, he sees a faith of your life group and healing comes. It's your faith together that produces something. Isn't that marvelous? They did life together. They had koinias, those guys. 2 Corinthians 9, 13, it says, your giving proves the reality of your faith. People that are givers have faith takes faith to give. Money is actually an acid test of your faith. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6 says this, but this I say, he who sows sparingly also reaps sparingly, but he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. The way you give, the way you sow is the way it comes back to you. Now this works positively or also works negatively. If you're really critical of other people, 
guess what? Jesus said it will be measured back to you the same way. But if you're generous towards others, that's what comes back to you. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, God is able to make it up to you by giving you everything that you need and plenty left over to give joyfully to others. Because sometimes the fear of giving, well, is if, if I give this, God, yes, you gave this to me, but if I, if I give it away, I'm afraid that I might not have any more. And God's just saying, relax. Just trust me on this. I will make sure that you have more to give. This is faith. Uh, yeah, but if I, if I give away my car... Oh, you mean God would ask that? Yeah. Well, if I give away my favorite pair of shoes or if I gave away my money, remember it's you're a steward of it. God says, don't trust me. There will be more coming besides. It's a step of faith. And you can relax. The offering's been taken, so you don't have to worry. <laughs> I see some of you, oh, is he going to take another offering? He's kind of building up. No, 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 no other offering. This is... You can chill out. It's, whew, some of you just breathe a big sigh of relief there. <laughs> Number three, generosity is an investment for eternity. Luke 16, 9 says, use your worldly resources to benefit others. We should actually read this one out loud together. Let's do it, okay? Use your worldly resources to benefit others. In this way, your generosity stores up a reward for you in heaven. Wow! My worldly resources are supposed to benefit others. Isn't that upside down? Don't most of us think, I get worldly resources to benefit me and my four and no more. And God says, no, no, you got that wrong. Your worldly resources are supposed to benefit others. And in doing so, you'll create community. You'll have koinias. He says, but don't forget, you store up treasures in heaven. Because you think, well, I might do without. God says, wait a minute. First of all, I'm going to take care of you. There will be more to give. But when you get to heaven, there's an eternal reward for it. Don't just focus on earthly things. Focus on heavenly things. We'll spend a lot more time in heaven than we will on this planet. So think about heavenly things as you give. Now, here's 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. This is a challenging verse, okay? So we, I'm just giving you a warning. This verse is a little bit challenging. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy's young. Timothy's in his 20s. He's got... A mixed group like us today, older people, younger people. But here's what Paul tells Timothy, command. Old King James says, charge. Command those who are rich in this present age. Command them not to be haughty, not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. First of all, let me just stop here. All things to enjoy. God is okay with you having things. Otherwise, he wouldn't have given them to you. And yes, he wants you to enjoy them. If you drive a motorbike, he wants you to enjoy your motorbike. If you have a tennis racket, he wants you to enjoy your tennis racket. If you have a pair of Nike runners, he wants you to enjoy your Nike runners. He wants you to enjoy it. That's just like when you, as a parent, give your child something. Aren't you thrilled when they enjoy the gift? It's kind of sad when you give your child a gift and they go, oh, I don't want to play with that. Oh, man, I... I put effort into that. You're thrilled when somebody enjoys the gift. And God's thrilled when we enjoy what He's given to us. But He also says here, He commands us not let that be the focus. We need to continue to be thinking about doing good, helping others. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works. Look at this phrase, ready to give. Ready to give. Did you come ready today to give? 
Oh, shucks, yeah, you know what, it's been a couple of months, I keep forgetting my wallet when I come to church, and uh, one of these days I might remember that, but yeah, I just forgot about that, I, I didn't come ready at all, yeah, I went to life group, the hosts, they always put food out, I, yeah, yeah, I know I'm always going to get a good snack, I miss supper, but I'll just, you know, eat a few more chips when I get to the life group, and you know, no, that's not our attitude, our attitude is we come ready to give. It's a, instead of ready to receive, now we're just kind of going cross-grain, counter-Canadian culture. Government, I want to receive this. Church, I want to receive this from you. I want to receive this. Do you have this? Do you have this? If you do, then I'll come. Uh, I'm give, give. Come on, give to me. And God said, no, no. Flip it around. I want you to come ready to give. Now, I know we need to receive. Of course, we need to do both. But here, this verse is challenging us, be ready to give. It's, a, it's just a, it's a, it's a kind of a paradigm shift where you think, okay, d- did I leave today with a little bit extra to give? Am I, am I going, what, where am I going? Am I going ready to give to this? Yes, I'll receive, but did I go ready to give? Back to the beginning of the verse, command those who are rich in this present age or charge them. I can just hear somebody saying this morning, yeah, preacher, preach that. Come on, come on, command those rich people. Come on, you guys, give. You're rich, you better give. Come on, charge them. But really, you know what? If we live in Canada, we live in Vancouver, we're all rich. I want to prove it to you this morning. So I'm going to bring up a little website. And uh, this is a website called How Rich Are You? And uh, so my annual income, it's in Canadian dollars. And let's say we make $25 an hour, not a great wage, not a bad wage. That comes out to, if you work a 40-hour week, $52,000. So let's go ahead and type in $52,000 and see where we would write in the world. Oh, we are the richest. We are the top 1.26% richest people in the world. Now, if you want to go home, you can put in your wage. It might be a little bit less or more. But no matter what you put in pretty well, if you're living here in this country, you're going to find yourself the richest. So this scripture is for us. Now, that might hurt a little bit, but God's challenging us. We're rich. And he's saying, do good. Be ready to give. Live generous, and you'll have koinonias. You'll change the community. Number four, generosity has a profound effect on our personal lives. Deuteronomy 5.10 says, Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. What have you got your hand to today? What kind of studies do you have your hand to? What kind of businesses do you have your hand to? What What are you dreaming about doing? Isn't that a great verse? Whatever you put your hand to, God will bless. Sometimes you look at other people and say, man, everything they touch just seems to turn to gold. What is it with them? Maybe, just maybe, they've been a blessing to other people. This scripture says if you bless others, God will bless what you put your hand to. Why? Because he knows he can trust you to give away more as more comes to you. And as a result, again, you have coinage. You end up building community. Acts 2035 says there's more happiness in giving than receiving. Takers aren't happy. They're usually scared about losing what they have. They're insecure. They're uptight. But the happiest people are the giving people. Luke 6.38 says, give away your life. You'll find life given back, but not merely given back. Given back with bonus and blessings. Giving, not getting is the way. Generosity begets generosity. 
Here the Lord said, give away your life. That's huge. In Mark, I don't have this in your notes there, but in Mark chapter 22, there's an interesting story. The Pharisees come to Jesus and they want to trick him. They're really ticked off at Jesus, so they want to trap him. They come up to him and the first thing they do is they flatter him. You know the old flattery thing, you flatter somebody and then you kind of stick a back, a knife in their back, that's what they do. They flatter Jesus, oh Jesus, you're this man of great integrity, you really fear people, I mean you don't fear people, you, you're just this man, you speak God's word and truth, you're this amazing leader, we have a question for you. Jesus says, oh what's your question? The question was this, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? They want to trap him with this. And Jesus replies, well, whose image and inscription is this? They have this coin. Caesar's, they replied. Well, then he said, give to Caesar what belongs to him, but everything that belongs to God must be given to God. And they leave because he's given this profound answer. Give to Caesar what Caesar's. Now, here's the deal. Remember that verse, give away your life? If the image and the inscription on the coin is Caesar's, the question that begs to be asked, well, what's God's? Where is God's image and where is His inscription? We are created in His image. His inscription of His Word is written on our heart. What is God's currency? We are. He says, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, but give to God's what God's. We're God's. So what should we give to God? Our life. That means our money, our time, our talent, our resources, we give that to God because we're God's. Selah. Pause. Think about that. Just, we're God's. Okay, how do I practice generosity? Number one, be aware of the needs of others. Mark chapter 2, those guys were aware of the needs of other people. Now, to be aware of needs in your life and other people's lives, this is a very profound theological point I'm going to make, okay? So hang on to this. You have to be a good hound dog. A hound dog sniffs out the needs. To drive the point home, I have a very deep little clip that I want to show you, so bear with me as I show you this little clip. It'll help drive the point home. Then we're going to wrap up the message. All right, that's Copper the Hound Dog. So he's tracking something. Do you get him there? He's sniffing his way. And then he says, hey, I found you. I've been tracking you. Now, if you want to be a giver, you have to be a hound dog. You have to track this out. You've got to find a need. The old saying, find a need of me. You've got to track it down. You've got to sniff it out. You've got to smell it. You've got to find it in your life group. Somebody maybe is going through a hard time, and you, you see this gal coming to church. She's typically wearing the same thing every Sunday. And you just go, hey, what's with that? She wears the same thing every week. And you start sniffing.
sniffing around, you find out that's the only outfit she has to wear. And so what do you do? You know what? Why don't we go shopping? Let me take you down to Robson Street. I'll buy you a new outfit. You've tracked it down. Or maybe you heard that there's going to be a global alpha training in India, and you talk to Alan who runs the alpha course, or you talk to somebody else, you find out they're going to India, and you just, you get sniffing around. You track that down. Now, don't do the sniffing thing when you talk to them. Just... <laughs> Because they'll think you're weird and they'll check out. But this is between you and I, okay? And so you just kind of sniff it out and you just say, hey, I heard you're going to India. Did all the funds come in? I'd like to be a blessing. I'd like to be in Koineas. I'd like to contribute to that. I'd like to be generous. Here's another thing that we got coming up. We have this Alpha course starting at UBC, and, and they've got uh, expenses for that. And one of the things with that Alpha course is we have now students at UBC that would love to come to church. They just don't have a ride. And so if you went sniffing around there, you might be talking to Landry, who takes care of that. You might find them saying, yeah, we got all these people who want to come, but we don't have enough vehicles or vans to get them to church, and we're believing for a 20 or 30 passenger shuttle bus it will cost about $35,000 and we need somebody to help us with that. And you're sniffing around and say, man, I could be generous there. I could help make that happen. So if you want to be generous, you got to be a sniffer. you got to be a hound dog in order to be generous. Secondly, you have to take a step of faith. That's pretty obvious. We talked about that. Thirdly, you have to give thoughtfully. Look at 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7. You must each make up your own mind as to how much you should give. Don't give reluctantly in response to pressure. God loves a person who gives cheerfully. The Bible says, make up your own mind. Don't give impulsively. And one thing we'd like you to pray about this week. Next week, we're going to make an announcement of how more of us can be involved in life groups, hosting a life group, participating in that. And maybe you're not yet in a life group, not hosting one. This week, would you do something? Would you pray with us and say, God, or what are you saying to me? And the next week, we'll give you more instructions. But this week, would you pray about it? If you're interested, you can let us know already. But we'll be launching that next week, instructions on how more of us can be doing what we saw there. Number four, give, th third was thoughtfully. Fourth is give happy. Don't give out of pressure. Don't give out of guilt. Give with a cheerful heart. God loves a cheerful giver. And then number, number five, give voluntarily. We had a Bible school teacher, and he taught us this. I'll never forget. It's kind of a goofy example, but sometimes the goofy examples, because they're goofy, stick the best. It was a goofy example. But he said, when you give, and if you've ever been asked to do something, and you feel this, <laughs> he said, that's not God. And whenever you feel, <laughs> he said, take two steps back and just wait till you have the peace of God before you do anything. If there's ever that feeling, you know it's not God. God is a God of peace. He's Jehovah Shalom. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. So you will have peace. Don't feel pressured. Have peace about the decision that you're going to make. One time I was away when I was working in the oil industry. I was out on a drilling rig somewhere, and Cheryl was at home and with the kids and taking them to church. And one particular week they had in our little church, they had this guy come in, and he was raising funds to help build the church building. And so they had a special offering that they were taking, 
And his style was different than our style. He, he had invited everybody who wanted to give to come to the front. So most of the people made their way up to the front. And then he said, you know, some of you still haven't come up to the front. And he kept doing this until everybody was up the front except Cheryl. She's the only one who didn't come up to the front. And then he made this statement. He said, some of you, I'm not mentioning any names or pointing them out, but some of you have yet not come front. Well, she's the only one. And they look around, they see her sitting there. And so, so awkward for Cheryl. And uh, she just stayed there because they're asking for a major commitment for this, and she wouldn't go to the front. And the reason she didn't go to the front is because we, on those type of decisions, smaller giving, of course, but on larger decisions, we won't give until we've thought about it, prayed about it, until we're in agreement. She couldn't text me back then. We couldn't do any of that type of communication. And she just refused to go up until we're in agreement. I was so proud of my wife. I just said, way to go, Cheryl. I've forgiven the dude for what he did, but anyhow... <laughs> You know, sometimes you got to forgive pastors. We, we sometimes make mistakes. And I think you made a mistake that day, but uh, and it's, it's fine. There's different ways of challenging people to give. But I, the point is this. Give voluntarily. Don't give under pressure. Give generously. In doing so, we create community. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org. 